Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by the Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. We have a full house today. Very excited. Every chair is taken. Joining me on my left is Ben Sawyer. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group. Ben has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience. He launched Soar to help align people with purpose and to achieve exceptional results. Next to him is Jennifer Strahan. She is the Chief Operating Officer of Soar Vision Group. Jennifer has partnered with more than 100 health systems and businesses across the U.S. She helps them transform their strategic and administrative operations. And Lisa Council is the Chief Commercial Officer for Soar. She comes to them after more than two decades of clinical leadership and clinical informatics experience. She spent 19 years at the McKesson Corporation, leading large teams in clinical consulting, EHR optimization, ROI teams, and direct sales and sales support. And you're the newest member of the team, so I again, am. welcome to you. Thanks. And our special guest this week is Sherry Ferugia. She is a Georgia Tech employee, but her title is Chief Operating and Strategy Officer for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, the Pediatric Technology Center. Now, to, to dumb it down for people, what I read when I was looking at what you do is manages the multi-million dollar pediatric research portfolio, and you're overseeing that public-private partnership between Georgia Tech and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Clearly someone else wrote that, and I did not. Um, <laughs> well, the other thing it says, you have a dual role. So that was my first question. You yeah, what do you do? Um, so it is it is certainly a joint effort. You know, it is a team effort. I do not do any of that alone. Um, but it is, uh, it is a public-private partnership uh, between Georgia Tech and Children's Health Care of Atlanta. It was seeded with a $10 million gift from Children's Health Care of Atlanta. And uh, Georgia Tech came in and supported that with... Um, with faculty and lab space. So it truly was a joint initiative to accelerate pediatric innovation through technology. So welcome to the show, Sherry. Thank we you. were really excited to have excited you to be on. Here. And anytime you are representing two different organizations, it can be challenging, right, from a cultural standpoint. Yes, it certainly can. That That's probably our biggest challenge. Um, we've, you know, I like to think that we've turned that into an opportunity. Uh, it was not something that happened overnight, but um, I look at it as, uh, I, I kind of tell the story about when I first put, my role was initially to take clinicians who have problems and team them with engineers who can solve them. Makes sense, right? I mean, how much easier could a job be? At least that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> and boy, was I wrong. Uh, lesson learned. But as you put the two in a room together, what you find is that they speak totally different languages. Uh, their experiences are different. Uh, a day in the life with them is different. And so the clinician comes in and pushes a piece of paper across the table and says build this for me the engineer immediately says I don't build anything I solve problems immediately they were at odds um, and so you know I thought great you know my first you know my first thing that I was challenged <laughs> to do in my new job is yeah. you know, I'm a failure yeah. 
Uh, at least I took some risk, right? Um, but what I ended up doing was thinking about, you know, how we could get them on the same page because the one thing that we had in common always was child impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew that we wanted to make the difference in the life of a child. So um, I arranged for the engineer mm-hmm. to go spend some time in CICU over at Eggleston Children's Health Care of Atlanta. And the engineer was blown away. You know, immediately, you know, the, the mind starts ticking on the different ways that the right, problems Right, because he sees could, the circumstance Right, the he sees it. It's empathy. Right. It's mm-hmm. all sure. about empathy. Yeah. And then you put that clinician in the engineer's lab, and the clinician sees that the engineer doesn't just sit there and tinker all day. There's a lot of research that goes into, you know, how to solve the problem in the best way possible. Not just answer the question, but to actually solve the problem. Right. So that is definitely a challenge with with the culture. That's a that's a great story. So Lisa, you've known Sherry. Oh my gosh, oh I've my known gosh. Sherry for over twenty years. Be careful. Be very uh, no, careful. We were young. We were like thirteen when we met. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sherry's been extremely successful. I met her at McKesson, and she actually started a business, sold it to McKesson, and she was one of my mentors. Not that she's that much older than me, but she was a mentor to me. I am. Um, <laughs> and that's been Sherry's kind of background for a very long time, is aligning people mm-hmm. um, and did a great job. Again, the culture was a little different, Sherry, it when was. you came into McKesson than what you were uh, you were accustomed to. So I've seen her for a while now, really being able to understand, listen well to people and, you know, kind of step to where people could understand each other. And her example just now is spot on. That's what I've known from Sherry for a very long time. And you've had a really interesting career, Sherry. Give give the audience a little bit of background of how you came to Georgia Tech and Children's. Well, I came to Georgia Tech and um, initially because a gentleman who invested in the second company that I helped stand up uh, was a Georgia Tech alumni oh, okay. and he ended up over at Georgia Tech but when in the second company CareCentric Solutions as he left he said to me if we ever have an opportunity to work together again I'd love to do that Stephen Fleming was his name um, so we always I I try to keep up with with um, yeah. people you know that's one of the things that I really credit with my career being successful is the people who I have Uh, who have helped me along the Mm -hmm. way and those connections so we were at lunch one day and he said you know what are you doing next and i was like well i'm going to go back to work and finish the day (laughs) he said no 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 no. next is in your career and i'm like Mm -hmm. i hadn't really given it much thought i was doing consulting at that time Mm -hmm. and he says well i have a great uh, opportunity for you at georgia tech and told me the um, the job and I said oh my gosh that sounds awful I mean mm-hmm. I don't want to do that job <laughs> um, and he said well you know your old buddy Dr. Mark Bronstein's over at Georgia Tech and right. I love love Mark Bronstein he says go talk to Mark so I went and had lunch with Mark and Mark said what does Stephen want you to do yeah and I told him, he said, oh, my gosh, that sounds awful. I said, that's what I said. <laughs> um, he said, we have a much better job. I got, I got a job for you, Sherry. And he, he outlines this this job uh, around health IT and yeah. kind of building the, the strategy yeah. and, and rolling it out and industry partners. Sounds awesome. I'm like, I love that. Now, that sounds like a job I'd really want. He says, well, there's only one problem. There's a hiring freeze. The job doesn't exist, and there's no money. <laughs> I'm like, what? So why did we have this conversation? Uh, <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> so it's seven months later I ended up at Georgia Tech and I wasn't there very long before children's gifted Georgia Tech the um, the money for pediatric research 
and I had known Donna Highland um, through the years and sure. who's the CEO of Children's and she had approached me about really leading at the time was a partnership which is now has you know blossomed into this you know amazing pediatric mm. technology center that's fantastic Do you know one of the things that comes to mind that I just love about this is it doesn't matter how great of an idea or a concept or whatever it is that your culture really does define how successful any initiative will be and so we can think about healthcare in general and obviously there's a great mission there but if it's not aligned with a common purpose so I love even in your very first opening story you talked about how you had to bring your physicians and your engineers together your clinicians to say like hey what's our common purpose because that's what really makes people motivated to figure out what are the language barriers, what are the things that you know we're just coming at it from a different perspective to really understand how can we be successful and achieve our goal. Yeah, the one thing that we talk about, you know, in our you know weekly and monthly meetings at our team is that one, it is never about us. You have to. You, First and foremost, we are here to serve and support. And I think that, you know, by that, that's the other alignment that we mm -hmm. have is how do we serve and support the children of our state mm. and, uh, and then the, the children of our country and hopefully the children of the world. Right. Um, and so anytime we are derailed, and it happens more than we would like to admit, is we go back to that common those common purposes mm -hmm. those common goals of child impact and servitude mm -hmm. um, and for us it's there to you know we can't serve the children of our you know city of our counties of our state without serving the clinicians the faculty and the students at Georgia Tech so for the listeners who regularly listen in they are are always looking at our organizational hierarchy of needs which is on our uh, website www.leaderdialogue which is d-i-a-l-o-g-u-e dot com and two things you mentioned actually hook it to that one is servant leadership mm -hmm. and and it's about service over self which is um, sometimes a rare commodity mm -hmm. in sure. leaders uh, and that's actually at the very top of the pyramid although mm -hmm. in a high functioning organization it actually flips right so the moment of truth is where the customer lives and leaders are below that but the middle of the organization hierarchy of need is customer value, which kind of defines both how you're going to do your strategy and then working from the ground up, how you're going to engage your colleagues and develop organizational effectiveness to, to fulfill that. And I would add the colleague engagement. So because I wrote down the exact same thing, I think Ben looked at my notes. So was, <laughs> <laughs> servant <Cheers>. leadership. <laughs> totally. It was a prerequisite to work here. <laughs> so exactly. servant leadership. And then I thought about colleague engagement. Because yeah. essentially, if you can take that, that premise of not just leadership, but if you've got servant leadership really embedded in your culture from a leader, that's going to naturally flow to your, your team, your staff, who are going to also try to work through in that service mentality, which is great for leadership and professional development, but it also, it creates the foundation of that hierarchy around colleague engagement. Because when people feel like they're trusted and respected and they're able to serve others and it's not a, you know, cutthroat environment, mm -hmm. then that creates innovation, that creates excitement and ownership and empowerment, which I think is powerful for, for organizations. So I want to pose that as a question to you, Sherry. So everybody hears that you know uh, culture eats strategy for lunch mm -hmm. basically and and the idea is that unless the culture like Jennifer just said fosters open honest dialogue and an environment for innovation and 
and failures are expected because they're on the you know success is on the far side of them as opposed to you know you can't possibly fail or it could have detrimental consequences to your career talk to us a little bit about the culture you had to create here and nurture to be able to be successful uh, that's a really good question. Uh, it's it's a tough one to answer, and I'll kind of walk you through some of the things that we did. But one of the things that uh, became very apparent to me is that we talk a lot about transparency, but let's face it, no one wants to be transparent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 I and you so you just have to accept that. And so how do you get to the point where it's okay to be transparent? Right. You're not going to be um, chastised for being you know transparent. So I call it, um, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, my aha moment, right? For me, and I, and, and I talk about this a lot and have a slide on it, um, about the rah-rah moment. Mm. And that's what it was for me is that we had to first recognize that the cultures were different and that they were different for a very good reason. And um, when I go into my boss's office, if I haven't failed recently, it's you're not taking enough risk. Georgia Tech is extremely entrepreneurial in nature. It's one of the things I love about the institution. Mm -hmm. Now, they don't want you to make the same mistake twice, but we are encouraged to, um, to take risk. You walk into Children's Health Care of Atlanta, and they're taking care of our most precious commodity, our children. Mm -hmm. And one is not zero. Um, And so, you know, that culture is the way it is for a very good reason. Right. So you have to recognize that and you have to accept it. So when you start to accept that the cultures are different for a very good reason, then you can move forward to respect. Now, it doesn't mean that the Georgia Tech culture changed. It did not. Right. The children's culture did not change. But what we did was we started to respect that the cultures were very different for profound reason. Um, And if you can do that, then you get to the point of acceleration, which is where we wanted to be. We wanted to be able to accelerate pediatric innovation because we don't have 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we all wanted to see something in our lifetime. We have donors who want to see something happen in their lifetime. We want to have child impact, um, you know, both short-term, mid-term, and long-term. But in order to do that, we had to accelerate that, that innovation cycle. So just to pull on that innovation string a little bit more. So by innovation, you don't necessarily just mean invention. No. Um, what else is included, particularly in the CHOA side, where a lot of it is very predictable processes, you know, standard operating procedures. Where, where do you see innovation particularly relevant there, where they may not be inventing something, but they could substantially innovate within their processes and so forth. Yeah, so I'll give you an example of that, and I certainly do not want to, to speak for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Uh, I'll speak for the partnership and yeah. what we do together, but an example of that is um, when we're able to, let's say, use streaming bedside data mm. to have a better understanding of historically what has mm-hmm. transpired and then to predict what can potentially happen with a child and that could inform an, um, an intervention. It could actually change the way right. that they deliver care. So is that something that is, you know, that you might consider is an invention or it's certainly not a medical device, but it's how we work together to 
um, to understand the data, to analyze the data, to then take that to make an informed decision um, that delivers better, better clinical care. Right. Well, that's, that's a, great a great example. example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and on the flip Change side, the delivery. Yeah. yeah. On the flip side, what are what are some of the examples of innovation on the engineering side? That. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm, I'm stopping for a second. I want to make sure that the, everything I'm talking about has been published. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, I know what I really want to we, talk we, about. So, so we have cheating at the table, and we also have spoiler alert. Yeah. This I, is I, so I, great. Yes. I need to keep my job, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I actually will talk about one that's been recently commercialized. Um, we have a physician who's an MD, PhD, and, and Wilbur Lamb is just absolutely amazing. Uh, he's a hemoc doctor. And... Um, he, as one of his student, one of his students came to him as for their student project, um, who had a, a congenital condition as it relates to anemia, mm -hmm. has to be transfused regularly, mm -hmm. and said for his student project that he wanted to do some research on his condition. Wilbur, of course, Dr. Lamb was like, absolutely. Our center came in and actually funded it um, for mm -hmm. a, a scholar program, mm -hmm. not much, ten twelve thousand dollars and said here's some money to play around with right uh and and the scholar program he was in is 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 very tailored towards that type of research right perfect um so he had noticed that when it was time for him to be transfused that the colors of his fingernail beds were different mm. whereas typically lisa you know as a nurse you would look at you know underneath your eyes or several sure. other things you would look at so as he started this research long story short um uh, algorithms were developed and an app was developed um, on the iPhone that actually can take a photo of the fingernail beds and tell whether or not you need to be transfused or if you're anemic. Wow. Today, wow. the way this That's really awesome. changes the way delivery uh, that, that healthcare is delivered is today, if you need to be tested for anemia, you have to go into your doctor's office. Mm -hmm. The compliance rates aren't great. Mm -hmm. Whether it's with a child, a pregnant mom, or someone who um, has a you know congenital or chronic right. condition. So this literally is changing the way healthcare mm -hmm. is delivered. It went, um, it was commercialized this this quarter. So we're very excited wow. about Congratulations. that. Congratulations! That's, that's a thank you. That's a great example. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I have to you know certainly give all the credit to to, to Rob, the student, and Wilbur, the physician, for for really doing mm -hmm. this. Um, but I'm proud of the fact that you know that our team supported it in the very mm -hmm. early stages. What a great way to think about. We've talked about this in the past on shows consumerism and right and how do we start thinking about taking away inconvenience to the patient just because it's convenient for the clinic clinical office or whatever the case is by instead having now it's you know your phone is accessible so i can't imagine i, I look forward to reading that to see the, how the compliance rates went up and obviously that impacts health so that's a great story and again a good way to tie it back to consumerism right well, and that it really ties back to the, the user experience. You right. know, we talk about a lot about the user experience, but we don't talk a lot about the patient experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I hate to say the patient because, you know, they're, they are our consumer, right? Yeah, right. It's the but person the, experience. Yeah. It is that personal experience. And we haven't done as much of that in healthcare as mm -hmm. we should. And we're seeing some amazing ideas, concepts, uh, and inventions come out from 
actual patients getting involved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, I'm talking young people, teenagers mm -hmm. who are, you know, are changing the way healthcare is delivered because today all they, they know technology. That's, that's all they know. I think that's who Apple and Amazon are tapping into is that younger generation mm -hmm. for, again, just-in-time information, you know, all the technology leverages that they can pull. Um, that actually is going to be groundbreaking for healthcare. And Agreed. think about the connection to big data with that, right? In right. terms of there's so much the out there. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I always say the answers in the data. It's just, you know, how you get to the answer. Mm -hmm. um, we um, we have some very talented folks at Georgia Tech, you know, on the data analytics side, and we've been very fortunate that we have a data use agreement with uh, with Medicare and Medicaid. So we have access to a lot of PHI um, that we can do some really in-depth analysis on and train the next generation, which is what we're doing. Let's train our students on how to analyze that data mm -hmm. um, so that it becomes useful and it just isn't sitting there and not really helping us make those informed decisions. Which is, sorry, it was no, really important point in what we experience every day in healthcare because essentially so many, we've got a lot of data in healthcare, but we don't have easy access to it or we can't use it and make it where it's meaningful, which is a lot around a strategy execution or system. Or timely. Yeah, timely. Exactly. Really yeah. Oh, we'll get it, but it. it was from a quarter right. ago. Retrospective right? <laughs> data does me no good. Exactly. So, but just tying that back to our strategy deployment or strategy execution system, when we can create and get data that's meaningful to act on at the front line, that that's how you drive opportunity. That's how you drive improvement and innovation. And again, I think that you're exactly right in terms of that's where we need to go as healthcare, making it where you can sort through the noise and get to what really matters. So I have a question. It used to be, especially when your things get published, and I know that takes time, but when it comes to healthcare, a lot of times when they're giving stats, I used to be a news reporter. So we would get, if we were doing a story about a health issue, they give us stats, but they would be like two years old or even a year old. Has that process gotten faster? Can it get faster? It we hope it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's in you some know. cases. I mean, it's I know not. they have to have a big body of evidence. They have to do their, you know, they have to make sure it's accurate. But well, so so bringing the information forward, like Jennifer's talking about, is sort of like an analogy. Is you you've heard people look for the needle in the haystack. Yes. So so sometimes we tease take the haystack away so you can find the needles. Mm -hmm. Actually, what you want to do is take the needles and line them up in front of you, whether it's in an app or in a, or so that you see what's actually important. So the technology and processes are supporting that. And that actually is an underpinning. It's a really good question. That's an underpinning of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Sherry, which is consumerism, what that looks like today, the pace of change, right. and how do organizations that don't have this incredible resource like like you have with engineers and and you know a, a really high performing healthcare organization, but it might be a smaller or mid sized business. How do they accommodate that, and how do they create a condition where they can innovate within what they need to? Well, they call me. <laughs> so there <laughs> you go. Georgia Tech is open for business. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of engineers. Uh, I mean, but but serious. Uh, on, on a more serious note, I think that um, everyone says that they want to innovate. Right. It's just like being transparent, right? Everyone says yes. they want to be transparent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's always a value. <laughs> right. But in reality, you ha it has to come from the, the, the top. Mm -hmm. it is, it is, um, it's an investment. It mm. doesn't happen overnight. It's a financial investment. It's a human resource investment. Um, and it has to be something that you take very seriously and you hire the right people. Um, 
So I think b besides just saying you're going to innovate, it really comes down to what are the needs in the marketplace? You know, what is really driving those needs and how can it be solved with new innovations? Uh, and maybe it's not a new innovation. Maybe it's leveraging an existing technology that's in the market that can be improved. And one of the things we talk a lot about is we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Right, that is right. a waste of money. It is a waste of resources. Dollars are so precious in pediatric research right. um, that we can't afford to do that. So let's see if there are partners. Um, and as we talked about earlier about these industry partners, are there industry partners? Uh, is this a technology that is commercially available that we can leverage, that we can tweak? Is there something that we built for the Department of Defense that's now in the public domain that we can leverage? We have that, you know, we have that advantage. So I would just encourage anyone who's listening mm -hmm. to, to really take a hard look at, you know, what exactly they're trying to innovate. Are they trying to just innovate within their own organization, maybe, uh, you know, as a result of changing culture? Are they trying to solve a problem external to their organization? And if so, um, what is it gonna take to solve that problem? Mm -hmm. Um, and often it is not a new invention as we talked mm -hmm. about earlier. Sometimes right. it's just tweaking the way that you do something right. um, and, and you change policy and you, again, you're able to, to impact right. um, change. Yep, so for example, Lyft and um, the exactly. other ride sharing services, Uber. right? It was Uber. just a, yeah, it was just a, a change uh, of something that already existed, but wow transformative what yeah. comes to mind for me of what you said I think is so important is we always talk about when we talk about innovation we talk about oh innovate at the front line but leadership really does play a critical role to that because if it's not embedded in your operating model to where it's allowed and people are in allowed to innovate then it's meaningless right and it means nothing uh, yes and um, and and I pause for a moment to say because this goes back to this culture um, uh, you know, issue mm -hmm. that we talked mm -hmm. about or opportunity challenge is that um, implementing a new innovation is risky. There's always risk involved. In pediatrics, we're talking often about, again, our most vulnerable population. So how much risk are you willing to take? Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to, you know, we've been doing this for a hundred years and it's been okay, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. It may not be the absolute best way to do it, but we are doing no harm. Mm -hmm. That's the key. That's the key, right? We're doing no harm. So, you know, how do you, how do you shift, you know, the, how do you shift that needle, you know, mm -hmm. move that dial, so to speak, to drive adoption of a new innovation that quite frankly is risky. Right. And it's a challenge, it's something that we, um, that that we deal with every day and you know what you know what I constantly say to myself in my head a lot is you know baby steps baby steps baby steps right we'll get there um, don't try to run because it's gonna scare people you know mm -hmm. when you see someone running you think what's on fire mm -hmm. right? right so don't run just take those <laughs> baby <point>. steps <laughs> and if you take the baby steps maybe some people will, will be there behind you initially and then hopefully they'll be beside you right, right? and you can do it in conjunction with one another so you've identified and referenced a few key ingredients of culture that can support uh, innovation, right? A, a, a tolerance for risk, actually an encouragement of risks, uh, um, both people and financial resources to support it, the notion of transparency. Um, what, 
if, if you, for the listeners, had to sort of summarize for them as a business owner, what do they need to do culturally to foster innovation? What, what would you say are the top three to five ingredients they need to, to think about? Well, I think that the first thing is, is that they have to understand their culture and right. they have to own it. Right. Um, and if you're not willing to own it, then change it. Okay, so to me, it really comes from that. Yeah. Um, and the ownership, you know, comes from reaching deep into your organization. This is, and, and I often think about um, um, Cleveland Clinic. Yeah. When, when, when they had a shift and a change in their culture, every single employee, the janitor to the CEO, were all empowered. They were all empowered to say something. Yep. And, um, and, and I think that in innovation, it has to be that way. Mm -hmm. Some of our best ideas come from the least expected places. So have an open mind, have an open door, reach deep into your organization and, uh, and be and have a commitment, a commitment from the very top. And that will filter down into um, the organization so that everyone will have that commitment and again feel that ownership I mean that that's and it's it's not easy right it's not easy you know I it's what I said it's like oh wow that sounds great Woo! it's not easy right it's very difficult and and so accept that as well except that it's going to take some time right um and don't rush into it or again you know it, as someone once told me um you know just because there are people behind you doesn't mean you're a leader and it doesn't mean they're and it doesn't mean they're following you. Right. Mm -hmm. It just means people are behind you. You could be in a queue, actually. <laughs> yeah. It could be that you're going to the chopping board. Just saying. Um, you know, so recognize that as well. That you know, it's not just about you know being a leader and having people follow you. It's about people standing beside you and empowering people. Absolutely. Which good leaders we've talked about on this program. Good leaders empower people they're not afraid to ask everyone in the organization for their input that's right yeah because they believe in everyone having a stake yeah. in the game that's right you know i i measure success by walking out the door and thinking if i get run over by a truck today am i going to be missed and hopefully it's no i mean i mean i mean as far as my job goes right i'm not talking about as an individual but uh, hopefully <laughs> i will be but no but seriously hopefully that the team will just be able to pick up and move forward right. um and and that is to, that's what i strive to do is to empower the team so that they can move forward whether i'm there or not amazing Good news. We are going to next week have Sherry back again because we have a lot to talk about. That was amazing. Um, we want to thank everyone for joining us on Leader Dialogue, brought to you, as we mentioned at the top, by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Remember, you can listen to a new live show every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. You can also, if you want to see any of the programs we do, we keep them on leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben, Jennifer, and Lisa, and our producers, Trey, we've, I mean, this place is, pla this place is <laughs> packed. <laughs> we have, and our producer, Trey, we, uh, you know, appreciate you joining us. Find us next time. I'm Duffy Dixon, and join us for Leader Dialogue on Business Radio X. 